0: The first was written on June fifteenth, 1215 and it is the, wow, you guys know, Magna Carta, the Magna Carta and the actual title of that document is the Magna Carta Magna Carta Libertatum, meaning the Great Charter of Liberties. And basically, the Magna Carta limited the power of the crown and the government and reinforced individual liberties. And that document was instrumental in England for centuries and had a great impact on the 13 colonies and the writing of the next document that everyone should have to read before they graduate, which is the US Constitution, We the People. How many of you have read both of those documents? A couple of you. The other document was written and posted on the church doors and the castle church in Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517, and it was the 95 Theses that Martin Luther wrote. And because of him and that document, we are in church today. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. I want us to begin by reading a passage of Scripture from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. It's Nehemiah chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible and would like one, we have Bibles in the back on one of the tables there. Please feel free just to pick up one of those. One of the things that we learned from the Reformation was that everyone should have the Scriptures in the language that they can read and understand for themselves so Nehemiah chapter 8 this is a basic description of a worship service it says when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate they told Ezra the teacher of the law to bring out the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded for Israel So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men and women and the others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the teacher stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood a bunch of people. (laughs) Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up, and Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen and Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, a bunch of them listed there, instructed the people... In the law, while the people were standing there, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And so this text today is a very basic worship service. The word of God was read and the people of God gathered to listen to it. And for the reading of the Word of God, the speaker was elevated so that everyone not only could see them, but could hear. And then the people responded to what was being read. Men and women, children, it says men and women and then children, old enough to understand, listen to the reading of Scripture, and then the explanation. Because God wants us to hear His Word. He wants us to understand His Word, and then He wants us to respond to His Word. And so we respond in worship, we respond in love, love for God, love for our neighbors. We respond in stewardship, we respond in song, we respond in obedience, and we respond in service. And Martin Luther on October 31st, 1517 posted 95 theses on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg because the church had wandered away from the basic gospel message and instead had started to sell indulgences. You See, people were no longer able to hear the Word of God. They were no longer able to understand the Word of God, and therefore they couldn't respond appropriately. Let me explain. The basic background to Luther posting these 95 theses were, was a particular dispute, dispute in the church over the selling of what is called indulgences. And indulgence is the remission of temporal punishment due for sins which has already been forgiven. And basically what you could do is you could go and buy an indulgence, a little piece of paper, and your sins would be forgiven, or at least the punishment due for sins would be forgiven. And so instead of going to the church to your priest, where you would, the priest would listen to your confession and then ask if you were sorry for what you had done, and then based on the promises of Scripture would say, based on your confession, your sins are forgiven, and then would give instruction on how not to keep going on in the life of sin. Instead of all of that, you could go to church and just say, I bought this, I'm forgiven. And that is a gross violation of the gospel. Christians were being falsely told that they could find the forgiveness of their sins through the purchase of an indulgence rather than through the free gift of God's mercy offered in and through Jesus Christ. At that time, um, as part of a fundraising campaign commissioned by the church to help finance the renovation of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, a man by the name of John Tetzel, a Dominican priest, began selling indulgences throughout Europe. And so he went to Germany to sell these indulgences. Luther was unaware that he was doing this but um, in where Luther was, there was um, his prince was Frederick III and then the neighboring prince was George, Duke of Saxony, they forbade the sale of indulgences in their land but what happened was people from where Luther was, they were going over where Tetzel was selling these indulgences and then coming back to church, they would come to church and Luther would say, you know, is there anything you want to confess? And they're like, oh no, I'm covered. I got this indulgence. And Luther was irate at this. He was outraged that they had paid money for what was theirs by right as a free gift from God. And he felt compelled to expose what was being sold to these pious people. And thus began the reformation of the church. And the one thing that troubled Luther was that the people didn't understand the Bible. The worship services were in a language that the people didn't understand. It, the services were in Latin. And so Luther changed the services into German so that people could understand what was going on. And he also wanted the people to be able to read the Bible in German, and so he translated the Bible into German. And Luther wanted to make sure that people could understand what they were reading, so he worked for public education of all people, especially for young girls. His goal was that everyone should be able to read and write, and therefore they needed to be educated. But the purpose of education was so they could read, I mean, the Bible and they could understand what the scriptures said. This wasn't just for the rich or the elite. This was for all people, and so was public education for everyone. And if you went to school this past week, well, you have Martin Luther to thank for. it. And Martin Luther had lived this himself. He had grown up with the fear of God instilled in him. Whenever Luther would go to church, there was always this fear of, how do I know I am righteous before God? And he always had these images of God the judge there's a picture here of the, this is a church at the castle church in Wittenberg and on the bottom right there's the church and that's the entrance and Luther would go through that to worship but he also, the other churches, they had these type of entrances and it was a symbol of Jesus being the judge and so you were always worried that God was going to judge you. How did you know your sins were paid for? How did you know that when you died you were going to go to heaven and not hell? Luther, as a young person, had also gone to Rome and been to the Sistine Chapel. And the picture there on the back wall of the Sistine Chapel, if you've ever been, you know it's Michelangelo's great work, and it's the final judgment of Jesus. And so on the left hand side, people are going up into heaven, and on the right hand side, they're going down into hell. And so there was this image for Luther of the judgment of God. How do you know your sins are forgiven? And so, worship for the common person was to go to a church service, which was all in Latin. The priest would read the scriptures in Latin, you would pray in Latin, they would say everything in Latin. And the high point of the service is when the priest would officiate at communion, and he would take the bread and he would lift it up and he would say, this is my body. And in Latin, that is hoc es corpus unum, which is where we get our term hocus pocus. ...as a way of performing magic. For when the priest would hold it up and say, this is my body... ...the bread would no longer be the bread in essence... ...but would transform into the body of Christ. And then the priest would invite people to come forward... ...and receive the body of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. But they didn't understand any of this because it was all in Latin. The only part of the service that was spoken in the language... ...that people could understand was at the end... ...when the priest would turn around and say, the mass is over, go in peace... No singing, no sermon, no music, and all in the language you didn't understand, and all surrounded by images of God judging you. And so Luther wanted people to know how they could be righteous in God's sight. So to better understand this, I just want us to take um, a few moments to think about what is righteousness, and then to consider the predicament that we are in, and then third, to understand how we are made righteous. Righteousness. Is the character or quality of being right or just before God. In the Old Testament, righteousness is one of the chief attributes of God. And for a human being to be righteous meant to be in a right relationship with God. This depended not only on your actions, but your attitudes. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to obey all the commandments. And to be without sin. So if you sin just once, you are no longer righteous. The problem is, we sin. We not only do wrong things, we want to do wrong things. And I'm not talking about mistakes. Mistakes aren't sin. But we willfully violate the commandments of God. And that is sin. Jesus when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount told his disciples, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. And the problem is, our righteousness does not surpass that of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. So we're in this terrible predicament because Jesus said he's not only going to judge our actions, he's going to judge our attitudes and our hearts are desperately wicked and so We're in this predicament. We have to be righteous, but we can't. We aren't. So how can we enter the kingdom of God? We have to be perfectly righteous, but we can't. But here's the good news. Jesus is. Jesus is perfectly righteous, and he offers to us his righteousness as a gift. So how are we made righteous? Well, the simple answer is that Jesus brings a new righteousness. And he did this by fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law. You see, sin has to be punished. And Jesus is the righteous judge. But here's the good news of the Gospel. It's that Jesus is not only the righteous judge, the one who punishes sin, but he is the one who paid the penalty, For our sin. When he died for us on the cross. And now he gives to us his righteousness as a free gift. Martin Luther learned this when he read the scriptures for himself. Especially Romans chapter 3. And this is what Luther read. And he wants all people to be able to read and to understand for themselves. It says here in Romans chapter 3 verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have altogether become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Then you jump down to verse 20. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law rather through the law. We become conscious of sin but now Apart from the law the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify and this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference between Jew and Gentile all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God And all are justified freely by His grace. Through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. See, God presented Christ as the sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And He did this to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And so because of this, Paul would go on in a couple chapters later in Romans 10 to say this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it is out of receiving this free gift, receiving the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we receive that as a gift. And then we are made righteous. Because we receive this gift. God is the one who makes us righteous. And then, because of that, we are to live our lives in response to all that God has done for us. Because God has done this for us, we are to then love our neighbor as ourselves, Not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation. And this is the good news of the gospel. It is a free gift of God's grace and mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. And the church had forgotten it, and had distorted it and was selling it. And Luther called the church to reform. You see, the gospel is free. It is a free gift of God. It's received by faith. And then we live our lives in response to this. And Luther wanted everyone to be able to understand this for themselves. He wanted people to be able to understand Ephesians 2:8 and 9, which says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. And so some Reformation ideas that we value today, nothing should hinder people from worshiping God. In public education, everyone should be able to read and understand the Bible for themselves. The third is money, or lack of money should not affect your ability to worship. And the fourth is the Bible is our final authority. We put ourselves under Scripture rather than over it. And then finally, that we are saved by grace through faith alone. And nearly 500 years ago, the church needed to be reminded of this. See, guilt was being preached rather than grace. At that time, the church did not have congregational singing and the story goes that Martin Luther took a familiar pub tune and turned it into a song that everyone could sing in church so that they could remember the truths of Scripture. You know, you think about it. The songs that you learn as a kid stick with you your whole life through. Songs that remind us of the promises of God. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is... Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Or, Away in a Manger. You learn these songs and they stick with you your whole life. So when you're going through difficult times, you can remain reminded of the truths of Scripture. And Luther wanted that same thing, and so he wrote that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to sing it again. And I want to remind you, those words, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. We need God because there is a foe. And there is a battle between God and the devil. But ultimately Christ is victorious. And so it says, For still our ancient foe that seek to work us woe is craft and power. Great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not as equal. And did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing... We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. And who is that? Jesus. Lord Sabaoth his name, or Lord of hosts his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle, and he did through his death and resurrection on the cross. And then the next verse is, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. What is that little word? It's Jesus. It's Jesus, and he has been victorious, and so we are to cling to him. There's a final verse to that hymn, and it says these words. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. That last verse encourages us to cling to Jesus and to him alone. Don't cling to our earthly goods or to kindred. If you do, you'll lose them. But cling to Jesus alone, for his is the kingdom. And his kingdom will never fail, and he will never let you go. If I was to sum up the Reformation in two words, it would be this. God forgives. God forgives. And may you receive that forgiveness today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know of your love and grace and mercy. What a privilege it is to know the promises in Scripture. We thank you that you are a God who forgives And a God who loves this world and is not willing that any should perish. And so, Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing this great hymn together.